Mmm. I don't know how baked Lay's does it, but it, it's one hell of a chip. Welcome to the Snacktacular episode of a podcast with Jordan Haas, the podcast about all the stuff in the world of popular culture and more. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. That's why I have this show. And today's show is going to be very fun. We're going to be talking about late night television in just a bit. On the paid version, we have a streaming segment. We talk Titans. There's Taskmaster and more uh, in a news segment. So we hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, but first, let's talk about our week, shall we? Halloween happened. Five people showed up at my door. Just five. Mostly families, all of them with their parents. Um, five knock-knocks. I think I gave out 12 pieces of candy total. And last year, on um, I, I had to give out almost three boxes in full, like 40. Now, it was a Monday, there was no rain, and it was all kids. And I mean kids, like no high schoolers, no middle schoolers. Like the oldest was maybe 10. When we usually do the uh, the chart of what is the most popular costume this year, I, it's like a 12-way a, a tie. There was a, a, a skeleton man. There was a witch. There was a kid in a pumpkin costume. I think someone dressed up like Baby Shark, but it was like a generic shark costume. Uh, someone went as a robber, like classic, like burglar striped shirt. Um, and another just sort of just dressed up kind of like, and then a whole family dressed up like hippies and a whole family dressed up like, like I said, sports people, mostly Chargers fans, which were really cool. I kind of like those people. I wanted to give them more candy, but those were the first first people of, of the trick-or-treat hour. And that was it. Um, I didn't play any video games. I didn't really have much. It was kind of just sitting there, and I was with my mom, and we were both, like, eating dinner. I We had Pizza Hut. And I was, like, just... It was busy for like an hour, and that was it. Like one full hour. I, if I just ordered a pizza maybe like two hours later, I would have not had any interruptions and probably devoured the entire pie. But I didn't, and that's okay. Uh, so now I have all these boxes of candy uh, to eat. So if you are in the need for Skittles, if you are in the need for uh, uh, Starburst Chewies, um... Or if cats, uh, Reese's cups, or plain old Hershey bars, come on over to the house. We got plenty of them. Please do not actually come to this house. I'm trying to make a joke, but I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know how to get rid of this candy at this point. I'm gonna have to eat a lot of candy for the next few uh, months. It, it expires March 2023, so right around my birthday. Um. That's been very fun. Uh, so other than the trick-or-treat embarrassment of what happened, uh, mostly this week I have been playing a Nintendo. The expansion pack had Nintendo 64 games attached to it, uh, and I played them on a Night Night Analog, which you can get on Patreon.com, and for free over on my YouTube channel, Haas Media. Um... Mario Party 1 and 2 are now on there. Pilot Wing 64 is on there. Mario Kart 64 is on there. A lot of classic Mario games legally. And I thought that was a bit of fun. I can't wait to play it. And I gave it a try. Additionally, uh, Arcade Paradise, which is a contender for one of my games of the year, uh, had some DLC packs, and I decided to give those a try. One of them is like a parody of... Uh, 
of what was that Trime Crisis game? It's like the the shoot the disc or or was it a t- bomb? Time bomb? Time? Uh, point blank? Point blank? That's what it's a parody of. And I think they're very. They also they did a new uh, DDR ripoff thing, and those are still the worst of the Arcade Paradise tracks because they're not in sync to the music, and not very fun to play. Um, but. The Nintendo Pack, which I believe I got $44 for a year, had all of these Nintendo 64 games. Now, I know what you're saying. This is the thing I'm probably hearing in your head. Why are you paying for something that's free? Yes, I understand that. You can easily just torrent or illegally acquire these games through the means of preservation, for instance. And ROMs are definitely a hot-blooded issue. For me, it's the Nintendo Switch factor. I don't have a Steam Deck, and I want to play them on something. So I like to play it on my Switch. And the Nintendo 64 is, of course, one of the childhood consoles. You have Super Nintendo, you have Genesis. Um, And something about just the 44 bucks a year, if you divide it by 12, it's like $3, practically. $3, $4. Still less than Elon Musk was 8 bucks. Um, and that's less than a rental I had at Blockbuster Video back in the day. Uh, so I'm very thrilled to try out the N64 library, and I really hope that maybe next year they announce GameCube. Because once you get to GameCube, then we're really in business. Because holy shit, now you're talking like, uh, you're talking about Mario Party 4, you're talking Super Monkey Ball 1 and 2, which they probably won't have because that's not a first party. Uh, you're talking Star Fox and Dinosaur Planet. You're talking about Super Mario Sunshine. Huh? Super Mario Sunshine? Hmm? Also, I think that really... That, wasn't that the last great Metroid Prime game? Maybe? I think I think that's so. So so I think it's worth it. But hey, it's, it's, it's whatever you think. Also, Xbox Game Pass is also still the best deal in gaming as well. Uh, and on that, I ended up playing a bit of Phantom Abyss, that weird temple game. It's like first-person pitfall. Uh, I need to probably try out, because um, currently they're doing a whole lot of horror games because spooky time. Um, but I think right now they are doing, Deathloop is now out there. I want to play Deathloop. Um, they also did Death Stranding now. Death Stranding is on Game Pass, so I want to see what that's like on cloud. How spooky would that be? Ooh, Norman Reedus, and then like a weird embryo thing going, bah! very trippy, very fun, very Hideo Kojima. Um, yeah, that, that's been kind of just me with gaming. I really want to play more video gaming. Um, that has been on my mind. Uh, here's the other things that have been on my mind. Are you ready? This is, I, I pre-ordered Goat Simulator 3. I haven't played it yet. I don't know when that's coming out. Uh, it's not out for Steam. It's for Epic Game Store, which is okay. Um, but the games I'm looking forward to, I only have a few left. Uh, Crisis Core Reunion is coming out later this year. That is my favorite Final Fantasy game. The PSP Crisis Core was the one that turned me around on the Final Fantasy franchise because it was an action or boop. Way, look at that. My voice is better. It's the first action RPG that I really enjoyed uh, because originally, you know, Final Fantasy is a turn-based kind of game. And this one was more action-y, hacky-slashy, remind me of Devil May Cry with a little bit of RNG factor thrown into it. And I fell in love with that game. That is the game I threw 14 hours into. Uh... Over like three weeks, that and Burnout were like the big two. So for them to re- like kind of reboot it but bring it back is something that's a big excitement for me because big excitement, um, because it was one of those childhood. I would even though it's childhood, I was in college at the time. It was one of those games that I had so much fun playing. Um, I have not played it since the PSP died. So I'm kind of wanting to know, does it still hold up? Was it just nostalgic memories? I I hope so. I hope it's good. I hope it's fun. Uh, And the other one is Atari 50, the the Digital Eclipse compilation series. As 
Uh, I talked about in an earlier review for the Calabunga collection, Digital Eclipse does really good arcade collections. They are the minds behind the uh, Disney Classic Games collection, uh, the Calabunga collection, and I believe they're also with the SNK collection? So if you love a lot of these games, pick it up. You, you're in for a little bit of a surprise. I, I hope they're fun. Um, for me, I want the Digital Eclipse Neo Geo collection, to be perfectly honest, but eh, I'm waiting on that one. But Atari 50, it's 50 years. They're including Jaguar games, and it's coming out, I believe, this week. So I am waiting to play that. That's the game I'm really anticipating playing. Um, because that was one of the best uh, X-Play reviews. Uh, Gerard interviewed the CEO of Atari to try and plug Atari 50, and now it's coming out, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then finally, I guess the AEW game, but I don't have a release date on that, so maybe it'll be uh, next year. Uh, also something called Against All Odds, which looks like a Fall Guys platforming game. But with spike traps, so someone's been really into, um, what is that? Happy Wheels. More Happy Wheels knockoffs. But this is from the folks at Microwave Games, so hot new game franchise. Check it out. Published by Freedom Games. You might know them from such beloved titles as, um... Symphony of War, the Nephilim Saga. Okay. Well, they can't all be winners, right? Uh, so, <clears throat> I'm looking forward to Atari 50 and Goat Simulator and Crisis Core Reunion. I want to play them before the end of the year because it's almost time to get my top 10 list, and I want to read that out here on the show. So, I, I, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited to see what Atari 50 brings up because, man, so many new games. So many, so many fun memories. Uh... Next is uh, essentially uh, TV time. So um, we're, I, I, I watched the Titans this week. Uh, of course, the big anticipated review is coming up. Uh, it's... Whoa, that was... Yep. Titans. Folks, big mistake. Uh, second is a blockbuster on Netflix with Randall Park. Yep, more of that soon. And Weird, the Al Yankovic story, that hot new biopic about Weird Al Yankovic that's 100% accurate. 100% truthful. Why would a movie lie? Uh, and then, uh, lastly, I guess I can talk about this, the horn section. Uh, had a TV show. Alex Horn from Taskmaster. You know I talk about Taskmaster all the time here. Uh, Channel 4 put out the Horn Section TV show, all of it on their on-demand service. And then they're going to put it out weekly on TV, which is a kind of weird experimental idea. Um, and it's a few episodes. And essentially, it's a bit of a sitcom. Alex Horn is a dad with a wife and kids. And the friend played by Desiree is from L.A., and she's an actress, and then she's the producer of this new show as they pitch it to Channel 4 because by accident they want to make a show with the horn section. And the horn section is, of course, the musical comedy band in the U.K. Uh, so if you heard any of the songs from the original podcast, uh, they replay some of those. Uh, the one with the uh, peas is one I vaguely remember. Um, and essentially, it's... I hate to say Larry Sanders' show. It's a show that's on stage in Alex's house, but it's not really his house, but it looks like it's house. And then there's a fake Channel 4 commissioner and a fake producer. So the idea is supposed to be the inner workings of a TV show and Alex Horn doom spiraling over it. Uh, the whole season arc is Alex Horn being so committed to the show, he alienates the band, he alienates his family, and he alienates his friends because this is the most important thing in his life. 
um, which then concludes with a hilarious, I'll spoil the ending. Uh, he, the show ends for series one. He leaves his house and immediately goes away from his uh, horn section bowling shirt into the trademark Taskmaster suit and, and shirt, the blazer and shirt, as he looks like the Taskmaster assistant and walks out while they play the Taskmaster theme. Um, Greg Davies had a cameo appearance, basically trying to usurp the band from him and being a real, real pretentious prick, but also very funny. And I love Greg Davies in this. And also, uh, John Oliver uh, is essentially cameos every episode. He is doing it through his laptop, which looks like his old COVID set. Uh, with the gimmick being that he's like the Ned Flanders of the show. He's he's the best friend and he's willing to do anything Alex wants. I'll, I have songs. I could play music. I could do all this. And it's just a lot of fun. And many people don't know this, but Sean Oliver and Alex Horn went to school together. So that's how they know each other. And that's how they did some music and some theater work together. So it's a lot of fun seeing that bit of reunion. And it's kind of fun because John Oliver is one of the biggest you know, hosts here in America and Alex Horn isn't. But people like Taskmaster, it's like a weird community. It's like the only connect group we talked about earlier. There's like a weird comedy, underground comedy circuit that just loves Taskmaster here in America. Uh, so it's still a great show. Um, finally, Let's talk about uh, my wormhole this week. Uh, this week, uh, in addition, I voted. I voted, hey. Uh, I was watching the Sidemen. You know, um, YouTube always loves to send me videos. Obviously, I've been watching a lot of, of uh, late night talk shows. But I watch game shows a lot. And I always see the Sidemen in my uh, feed. Because the Sidemen like to do game shows for some reason. They did the Cube. They did the Crystal Maze. They did uh, Deal or No Deal. Uh, they do game shows quite frequently on their channel. And I watched one episode from them like a few years ago. And just never figure out what the fuck this channel is. And I thought it was just kind of just like dorky people it you know what remind it's like one of those group chat things where it's just like oh these are all the best friends and you're supposed to know all of them and the appeal of it is you wish you were one of them so you want to keep watching so you can try and be kind of like what rooster teeth was with the let's play channel kind of like screw attack kind of like a lot of congregate content aggregates with groups of people like smosh uh or college humor you need to have that group of people, then you wish you were one of them. G4 almost had that. Kind of wish they did, but they didn't. Whoops. Um, so Sidemen does that. And I watched their video, and the one I watched was their most recent video. Um, they did a uh, essentially a variation of Japanese game shows. And that was today. They also, the one that actually, I think I watched first was the, uh, was I think the one where they were actually doing like a hide and seek. Because they had a lot of hide and seeks. They did Hole in the Wall. I watched the Hole in the Wall episode. I watched the Escape Room episode. And essentially, the more I watch it, the more I kind of understand the appeal of Sidemen. Um, so yes, I'm right with my thesis of this is the group of people doing stuff, and then you're supposed to gravitate towards that because these are uh, people you want to be friends with. Like, that's the big social media pull. But the thing I realized about the Sidemen itself is this is a copycat of a lot of appeal that we see with a lot of South Korean, Japanese, and some television shows here in America. And that is the group of friends doing stuff and then sometimes the forfeit, but they're still friends. So when you see Jackass and you see the Jackass crew, you're like, I want to be part of the Jackass crew. When you see Impractical Jokers, you're like, I want to hang out with Sal. I want to hang out with Joe. And when it comes to things in South Korea, in Japan, they do that group of things in a lot of their variety formats, like downtown in Japan or in the case of South Korea, things like Infinite Challenge 
or Busted or uh, The Great Escape, where it's a group of friends doing the thing and you're just watching it because, oh, this is very fun because each of them have different dynamics and that'll be very hilarious. I don't know fully each of the people yet in the Sidemen. All I know is there's a guy named KSI and his name is JJ uh, and he's a Twitch streamer. Uh, and I just know him because everyone talks about KSI and he's a rapper and he does all these cool things. And I heard part of his rap, but I'll say it. This dude is pretty talented. Not even kidding. This dude, this KSI guy, I could see why people like him. Very well adjusted, very funny. That dude is multi-talented. And then the rest of the segment, I think they might be like, like the, um, I think they might be not actors, but I would say more like, um, kind of like dude perfect. Like, I think there might be like dude perfect people. Like they did like the trick shot videos, but with like soccer, cause they are British instead of dude perfect, which is football Americana, which is the, the old pigskin, the old, the old flea bag. That's what they call it. The flea bag. Um, so, so the Sidemen, it's just like the Dude Perfect channel. It's just like Mr. Beast. There's challenges, and there's reactions, and it's mostly, ah, oh, what the fuck? Oh, what the, this is old shit. And then it's like bullshit that you've already seen on other channels, but they're going to replicate it, such as the um, hole in the wall. They're going to do human Tetris, and then they fall in the water. I don't know if they got the rights from uh, Fremontal for this format, but... Hey, it's the Sidemen. They're very popular. Um, and you see things like the, you know, uh, what is it? Like the uh, spite, the, the blow, the roach, and then goes in your mouth. That was in the Japanese game show episode. Uh, the oh no snakes and spiders because they did silent library. So hey, get your, put your head in the cockroach box. Hey, isn't this funny? There's a tarantula on you now. <laughs> Don't freak out. One of those. Um, they're, they're not all winners, I will say. They're not all, it's very hit and miss. The one I did kind of like, though, was they did attempt the wheel, and they went on the set of the wheel, and they played the show complete with the wheel theme playing. I love that one. That one, because they just basically did an episode of a game show on the game show set. And I kind of wish they did more of that. I'm sure a lot of these productions will gladly let them borrow the set for a thing, if they know that they're getting three, four, five million views, which is more than most of the viewership on these shows in general. So I, I could see the appeal of it. And a lot of the challenges are also kind of like what they did on BuzzFeed. Like, hey, this is a $100,000 vacation and this is a $100 vacation. Um, so that that's also been something I've seen. So they're doing a lot of challenge videos and challenge things are always kind of hilarious to see. It's not really my cup of tea necessarily. Like even though I love game shows, I think the challenge thing is very seldom interesting because like maybe it's just me, but I it, I don't like repetition that much. I like it once and then maybe again in the rule of three. Once it's third, you're done. So something like gallon smashing, where they smash the gallon and prat fall. Oh, I fell. Yeah, okay, funny the first time, but then like assholes get a hold of it and they do it worse. And then you see things like the cinnamon challenge. It's funny the first time because someone puts a spoonful <laughs> and then all the dust flies out. But like after like the eighth time, it's just sort of, oh. Like you see the tortilla challenge. It's funny the first time you see a tortilla slap somebody because, oh, that makes a very loud slap noise and that's very funny. Second time around, but then like around the fifth, sixth time, you're just sort of like, oh, oh, let's do the chubby bunny challenge. Let's do, you're just sort of just, it doesn't interest me. It's like when you call it the ice bucket challenge. Remember the ice bucket challenge when you raise money? It's like, oh, that, I mean, it's cute the first time around. Celebrities do it, raises money, fantastic. But eventually over time, it's just like another, oh, let's just dump cold water on me. Oh, that's cold. It, it's just sort of there, if that makes sense. Like, I'd rather you just make the donation and not dump the bucket of water because I already know the reaction is going to be, oh, that's a very cold bowl of water on me. 
I just it maybe that's just me. I don't like rep, even though it's very funny for me because I'm the game show guy. You would think a challenge, which is like a game show format, I would enjoy it. But it's just something about it. Just I don't really partake in that. And also, I do not want to do only connect with the side men. I think that would be a, a nervous breakdown waiting to happen. However, I did get 15 points. I got three five pointers this week watching only connect. Uh, so I was very thrilled. I never get five pointers. I watched it this week, and not one, not two, but three of these little crypto things, I went, I could get a five-pointer on this. Because I think I know what the writers are intending on this first clue. And I was right. I love that. I love Only Connect, one of the best shows. Anyway, back to the Sidemen. Uh, the hide-and-seek videos, I actually thought were, the, were okay. The one in the Royal Albert Hall is actually one of the best ones they made. Um, because it was basically just hide and seek. And I think something like that's always kind of funny because it reminds me a bit of, uh, what is it? The, the run for the money or, um, infinite challenge, right? Cause they did the whole running and then like play tag. So something like that's always going to be interesting. Very funny. So basically the sidemen are just like the British version of infinite challenge or running man or what have you. The variety group aggregate that has been popular in Asian television for the last 30 or so years, only now it's with sporty people, and some of them are very stupid, some of them play stupid but really smart, and it just depends. And other times they do that really shitty uh, fake-out thing like you see on uh, on fucking uh, toy, uh, Top Gear and the uh, the Amazon Top Gear with the what's his name Jer Jeremy Clarkson. You know how he like there's sometimes that intentionally fake skit thing where it's like, oh we're in the caravan. Oh no, a bear. Oh shit, it's a bear. And it's like clearly like they're acting. Oh, I got directions. Don't worry, we won't get lost. Oh no, we're lost. That kind of shit fake act at, at that thing I don't like. But they love to do that sometimes. It's it's, it's not real. I it, I know you're it's trying to be a, a gag thing, but it just you know pretty bad. But the segment I would say is it actually a very interesting channel. It gets the viewership and it's hit and miss with the content. However, I do kind of I will say kind of like the Sidemen. I think it's a very charming group of people. Some of the shit they say is somewhat weird, but I know that they mean well. Um, I wonder if they still... I want to see them do more fun, like, uh, smaller bits, if that makes sense. Like, I want to see them do, like, like a like mini golf. that makes sense? Or have them play... Um, what's that game? Uh, the... Not Cards Against Humanity. The, uh, the... Not Jackbox. The the what's the, what's that fucking game? What's that fucking game? What's that fucking game? I'm trying to think of right now. You know, it's the it's it's the the meme. What do you mean? The one where they put captions on the photos. That I want to see them do that because maybe they'll be very funny and have a good laugh. I I think they're qualified to do that. It'd be great. Um, so that's, that's it. Um, my last stop before we go into the late night show is I still haven't really played Jackbox Party Pack 9, even though I did in the review. I, I'm still very sad about that, but, uh, that being said, uh, hey, uh, Jackbox Games, my name is Jordan, and I would like to see the Jackbox Party Packs become a full-on television show. I know G4 is done, um, but I, I would like to probably be the host please please i'm I, I need money and job thank you anyway let's go to today's episode
do we have to pay CBS for that? <laughs> hey, welcome to the Night Night uh, show. Not, no, not really. We uh, aren't a late night talk show. But for the last few weeks, I decided to get into the YouTube wormhole of late night talk shows. Of course, I watched Kimmel and also Colbert, Fallon, Myers, and the other guy, James Corden. I don't want to repeat a piece of content that has been done before. Comedian Eddie Burback did one months ago, before being famous for eating at every rainforest cafe. My ongoing question in this podcast has been, can television shows survive when the pivot goes online? Interviews are on podcasts, although better than mine. Some desk bits are now fully memed on social media, and sketch comedy is quickly done on TikTok. So the basic staples of late night talk shows have already transformed. I finished reading uh, Late Shift and The War for Late Night, and even binged a whole lot of Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien, and yes, David Letterman. There is a whole Johnny Carson channel featuring comedy bits, and I think so many people want to try and emulate that style. But from what I see, the best of the modern day take the format and make it their own. Seth Meyers is mostly daily weekend update at this point, with Amber Rufflin picking up a Peacock series of her own. Talk show, however, I equate her show more on the news desk comedy as last week tonight with John Oliver in the Today and the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And if you want to get well into it, the problem with John Stewart, the Jim Jeffrey show, Full Frontal with Samantha B, and Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj. Not to be confused with Hassan Piker, the famous Twitch streamer who also covers news and is a modern-day content creator. And while I think comedians lampooning current events and topical issues are important, I really want the classic monologue, comedy segment, interview, maybe another interview, and then a musical guest or comedian. Monologues, you know about them. It's the start of the show. Here's some comedy jokes for you. Set up punchlines there's a typo it says punchlines <laughs> sometimes they're actually standing up typically behind a curtain like fallon other times behind a video wall like kimmel and other times behind a garage door looking thing like colbert seth does his behind the desk like a weekend update and originally so did jimmy kimmel before changing showrunners and noticing he performs better standing up you get your desk segments. Whatever was headlines for Jay Leno or top 10 lists for David Letterman is the thing the other hosts for Jimmy, it's mean tweets. For Corden, it's carpool karaoke. For Seth and Colbert, it's... Um... Uh... I I'm sure they have some. And the current ruler in that field is, of course, Jimmy Fallon, who has a multitude of games and stunts and desk segments from thank you notes to drinko to lip sync battle. Hey, remember when it turned into a TV show? And so on and so on and so on. Then you get the celebrity guests. They are to plug a movie, a TV show, a new album, maybe a podcast or book, but it's rare when it gets there. So the questions are pretty planned and setups for the So a Funny Thing Happened story. Craig Ferguson was the best at these interviews, as he mostly tore up the cards in favor of just going wherever the conversation goes. Knowing it has nothing to do with a television show the actor is on, but getting into hilarious small chatter like salad dressing or trying to pick up kids from school that ends up being more relevant to the television audience. And then, of course, the end of the show, where the big band from the new album is here to perform or a stand-up comic is given five minutes to try and impress an audience of people who just got free tickets and are a bit tired from hearing a celebrity talk about working with a director. And it used to be, if you broke through that boring barrier, you're invited back and your career changed overnight. Now it's more of a, oh yeah, you were on that guy's show. Neat. As it might help the host at the comedy circuit say, hey, you might have seen them on the Kimmel show. Oh, the magic of late night. But as audiences are back in the picture, it's time to do a quick assessment of the late night talk show landscape, at least in network. So apologies to Andy Cohen. Your show is fun, but Bravo never gives me the details of when you're on. And when I assume 1130, it's a Real Housewives episode. 
All the shows I have seen are graciously provided by Hulu, Paramount Plus, and Peacock, with the small exception for YouTube archives of David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, Craig Ferguson, Jay Leno, and yes, Johnny Carson. The purpose of late-night television, at least in its early forms of the Steve Allen era of NBC, was essentially what is similar to most Twitch streamers of today. Essentially the ones that don't really play video games. It's just a guy in a studio playing piano sometimes, and then talking with people who show up. I know Wild West is an often overused analogy, but when it came to that era when the networks thought, eh, who cares, they are all asleep as long as it gets advertisers who gives a shit, then you could try just about anything. That leads to all sorts of hosts and other shows, from Tom Snyder doing one-on-one -on -one interviews to Dick Cavett getting debates on television at a time when CNN was still a twinkle in Ted Turner's eyes. And many, many, many failed attempts, from Magic Hour of Magic Johnson to Chevy Chase to the two big attempts at Fox, Joan Rivers, and Spike Ferenson. Uh, to seg slightly, I, I watched talk show with Spike pretty much every time it came on which was after Mad TV. I thought it was such a cheaper, lower-budget television show, but Spike's comedy, which was as edgy as Letterman, mixed with his banter, which was similar to Conan, because, I mean, they were both writers turned hosts, was actually one of the best shows Fox ever turned out. One segment, I, one segment that I remember was them playing a game with an audience member called Walk the Line. And they played Johnny Cash, and Spike told them to follow the line where it goes. And it leads to the exit, and then they lock him out of the studio. Yes, it's mean-spirited, but it's also very funny. Especially when you figure it's a plan from the crew that's doing it. And yes, Joan was on the edge of, with her stand-up show. That at the time of The Simpsons was really ideal for that network. Even though I could have sworn... Our syndicate put on Arsenio Hall. And as we all know, nobody is more 90s than Arsenio. That guy was cool, and he even tried to reboot his talk show a few years ago. But it was also shortly li lived. But hey, the whoop, whoop, whoop still lives on. Well, yes, there is tons of grounds to cover in late night talk shows. Arsenio could be its own episode. I guess similar to game shows, I suppose, but I'm digressing. My favorites are... Letterman and Conan, and obviously, they're no longer with us. It's really tragic. But Letterman is now doing Netflix interviews with My Next Guest Needs No Introduction, and Conan has Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and the Team Coco brand now has a big podcast network. I honestly thought Conan was going to be doing travel shows on HBO Max, but maybe someday over there, someone went, well, he's just too tall to fit in the overhead compartment. Obviously, you could watch their old episodes, and some of them are actually good. But when it comes to the heavy-duty people, what's it like watching them? Tonight, quick reviews of the current landscape with Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Late Late Show with James Corden, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Late Night with Seth Meyers, and Jimmy Kimmel Live. Late Late Show with Colbert is, obviously, Stephen Colbert's show, but it's housed in the Ed Sullivan, much like Dave's show. Obviously, the show stems in the news because of Colbert's tenure at Daily Show and Colbert Rapport. And while you get all you can eat on Trump jokes, Colbert does have a pretty fun character of Joe Biden as well when he brings out the aviators. The branding of Colbert is similar to his former characters. Patriotism. At one point, it had Grammy-winning jazz musician John Batiste and Stay Human, but this year it flipped to the other jazz great, Louis Cato and the Late Show Band. If you need a show that tells you things are grim in this country but can get better, Stephen is your guy. It's a celebration of his South Carolina roots, plus his ability to interview politicians and newsmakers that makes Stephen a good host for Late Show. In an alternate universe, Stephen would be an American ambassador we sorely need, but his downfalls are partially his lack of real segments? Unless we count the confessional booth and, as a large nitpick, that ceiling thing that goes unused like it looks so if you're like in the third floor of the ed sullivan theater looking down you will just get an amazing view of the lighting kits and late show sign his follow-up show is the late late show with james corden to simplify the show he takes stuff from the uk shows and does it here 
He starts the show with the welcome to guests at the door, which is fantastic until you realize Alan Carr does that on Chatty Man. The interviews where he are where they're paired together comes from places like Graham Norton and Jonathan Ross. It does make it stand out though, which is nice. Usually the celeb goes, says their thing, then fucks off. But Carpool Karaoke stems from a bit he used to do on Gavin and Stacy, where he played Smithy. So in many ways, Corden did have to transition away from a character to a person when doing those karaoke's. But the highlights of the show is Reggie Watts, who may or may not have been stolen from Comedy Bang Bang. That's for the courts to decide. And the show's head writer, but mostly co-host Ian Carmel. When Corden decides to do a news segment and talk about current events, typically, he tries to banter and go on script, but Ian Carmel will sometimes pivot and go off script a bit and banter away at times, causing improv to happen. It makes the show feel more like a podcast in this regard, which honestly, when you consider many here's the news story, here's the punchline routines, it's actually a good change of pace. Corden does try to get producers involved as much as possible, which is a nod to Letterman in that fourth wall breaking. And there is no denying Corden's talents. As for the negatives, it's in the basement of The Price is Right. Also, James Corden has been seen negatively in the public eye for that story about the restaurant, but has since apologized, and also had his attempt to undermine Writers Guild by paying writers less because of viral videos or whatever was that reason. His set has too much empty space that goes unused, from the bar in the corner to the side stage of Curran. A memorable moment that, a memorable moment that I recall uh, for this, from a few years ago, uh, they had Jimmy Kimmel as the guest, and in a game of Spill Your Guts or Fill Your Guts, a hilarious segment where you, they confess to personal questions or eat gross stuff, which we like to call a viral moment... Is there wind chimes under this? That's the only way this bit can work is there's wind chimes. Jimmy Kimmel asked Corden if he can name two of the cameramen in this room. I don't think he's terrible. I think when it comes to 1230 and your choices are Myers or Corden, it makes sense for Fallon's people to switch over to Corden because both have that silly game behavior. And Seth Myers should be getting Colbert's because both banter about the news. So if you're in Kimmel's group... You're probably watching Nightline. It's like a comedy newsreader thing, but without the laughs. Speaking of Kimmel, let's let's go to Kimmel. The dude is the longest running host on Late Night. When he started, it was a real crapshoot, as ABC really wanted Conan or Leno. But they gave him a try, and in the first episode, an audience member threw up. And so they got rid of the open bar. The original set looked like Los Angeles Art Deco and was actually really cool. But now it's renovated to feel more a classic late night with a big moon backdrop and a desk with Jimmy Kimmel's name on it. As the show progressed, Kimmel has tried to be the closest to being David Letterman without being David Letterman, from having segments where they ask people outside to belly flop or ask viewers to upload videos telling kids, I ate your Halloween candy and recording their reactions and other weird bits. Guillermo Rodriguez serves as the second banana on the show. Originally, he was the parking lot security guard and was actually the security guard. And as time progressed, he has become to the show what Biff Henderson was to Dave. Of all those late night shows, it's the closest to being that old school idea. If you miss Letterman or Conan or Craig Ferguson, I think Kimmel is the closest thing you have on air at the moment. On the negative side, his studio is still very cramped and just looks like an unfun place, despite being in the heart of Hollywood and next to El Capitan. It still needs a bit of renovating, I feel. Additionally, Kimmel's best episodes somehow take place in Brooklyn, where he takes his show yearly to his hometown, besides Vegas, of course. When he's back in LA, I think it's more off days sometimes with him. But I'm glad he takes breaks, and he gets amazing guest hosts like Sean Hayes and Jesus Nice and Nikki Glaser. And I'm one of the few people who can admit to have seen pretty much every episode of his show, except for the times they do that awkward thing where they repeat and you don't know it's a repeat until you hear the monologue and they say, did you hear what Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter? 
Jimmy Fallon is the new king of late night. Technically speaking, the Tonight Show went back from Burbank to New York City, and not that I'm upset about that. And his show continues where Late Night left off. Some bits like Lick It for 10 have gone away, but other games such as Password and Box of Lives remain in the fold. Fallon was originally a computer science major who later went into theater, so he has that juggle of geek with cool guitar guy at college that gave him the pass on SNL, and somehow cheat-coded his way into Late Night and then The Tonight Show. Higgins serves as the announcer, and The Roots are still the house band. And, of all the things to happen to The Tonight Show, Fallon's tenure somehow is the smoothest, and the one without any hiccups. Most late-night-to-Tonight-show transitionaries end up in a rough spot at NBC. Just ask Conan and Dave. But Fallon? He's loyal and willing to try new things. I think Lapdog is a bit too mean of a term for him because he is really friendly and nice. I have seen him here in L.A. when he took The Tonight Show over to Universal Studios. You gotta love that synergy. But the show has pretty much become an evolved version. He still does monologues, but now... There's a game with a celebrity. Then there's probably a skit with Fallon in it. And a celebrity. Then there's another game played at the desk with the celebrity. And you guessed it, Fallon. Everything The Tonight Show must include has to have Jimmy in it. In many ways, that's the shortcoming of the network notes. But he's the only late night Piaq show host left to currently have his own ride at Universal Studios Orlando. The other host, as we all know, was the Craig Kilborn log flume. Right before Splashdown, you get asked five questions and play Yambo. If you want to wince at all about Fallon, you could talk about the hair ruffle about Donald Trump or the games turned home games at Target. But they actually made a Tonight Show for Kids, and it's something. Finally, Seth Meyers. Seth is the head writer for Saturday Night Live, who became the host of Weekend Update, much like Colin Jost, but Seth Meyers became the host of Late Night after the Fallon transition. Originally, he did the monologues and tried to do desk bits, but eventually, over time, it just sort of became a new show than an interview show, with the only time skits showing up is when Fred Armisen shows up to lead the 8G band. Yes, that Fred Armisen from Portlandia and Los Spookies. They should just put a cardboard cutout over the band session. Uh, Seth Myers is mostly at the desk reading news and quipping at the desk. That's his show. That's where he's comfortable. Sometimes Amber Ruffin shows up to tell jokes. Sometimes Jenny Hackle shows up to tell jokes. And it's mostly the ones involving women, black people, or gays. However, one thing I really loved about Seth Meyers, besides his love of comic books, I see that blue beetle on the desk, Seth, is a course where they actually get to do skits. Everything from parroting Aaron Sorkin monologues to Oscar bait movies. However, it's very awkward watching some segments in the last few weeks. I recently watched his corrections from October 3rd, and some of his A Closer Look, and maybe they don't have an audience yet, but it just feels awkward. Myers is one pop culture savvy writer, but I watch some of these episodes and feel dead inside. And if that's how I feel watching, I fear that for Myers, who has all the most casual interview skill on late night. Of all the current late night hosts, Seth Myers is the one I most want to be friends with. So Seth, if you're watching, uh, sorry I fell asleep during your news segment. Hey, you want to play it on Steam sometime? No, no, well, oh well. I do think Seth is the most cerebral of his jokes, able to strike that balance of highbrow and lowbrow that is really tough to do sometimes. So again, if you like Colbert, check out Myers. If you like Fallon, check out Corden. And if you're Kimmel, make a pizza. It's 12.35, and I mean, you deserve it. Which leads me to the shows of the future. Obviously, these shows are trying to bank on viral ability. Fallon's games are shown constantly because challenge vids are exciting. Carpool Karaoke racks up all the numbers because celebrities, just like us. For Myers, his monologues are edited for podcast viewing, which is very accessible. 
And for Colbert, it's mostly edited segment by segment, where sometimes an interview gets 100,000 and another gets over half a million. Occasionally, his cold opens get traction online. Essentially, when a major news event unfolds, like Kanye West getting banned from Twitter, or a major milestone in American politics, Colbert's monologue usually gets those numbers. And Kimmel... He isn't really trying to aim for the viral ability, even though he's famous for the I'm fucking Matt Damon video. It's the most consistent of all the shows. Monologues go up with major events, interviews do well. If it's somebody promoting a Marvel series, I mean, it is Disney. And if there is a skit or stunt, it's hit or miss. But typically, you do get a good word of mouth viral success. Every one of these hosts has a go viral to stay relevant. But as TV makes way for streaming, if you want to watch Fallon and Seth, you need Peacock subscriptions. If you want to watch Colbert and Corden, even if he is leaving soon, you need Paramount Plus, and Kimmel is on Hulu. As these shows are made technically daily, it needs to stay current with news. But also, time-skipping behavior means live isn't live. While the TV network schedules have 11.35 and 12.35 listed, that doesn't mean the shows air on your time. You can watch Fallon in the morning, or create your block with Kimmel, then Colbert, or Myers, then Corden, or anything else. It's up to you. But the weird notion of late night might be weird, as technically you could be watching it in daytime, which that means we owe big apologies to Kelly Clarkson and Drew Barrymore. I don't know what will happen. Will YouTubers take over? Will podcasters be the new talk shows? Am I getting a late night talk show? Who knows? I'm very, very tired. This concludes this week's episode of a podcast with Jordan Haas. Hey, did you like that? Why don't you give it a good review in the podcast place that you go to? So maybe people might check it out, share it with a friend, whatever. And that's just for the free version. If you are a paid member, Go over to patreon.com slash Jordan Haas to get an extended cut of this episode. In addition to what you just heard, we have more articles in a paywall news segment. In this week's episode, we finish up Jordan Talks Titans. We recap Taskmaster. We review Marvel Snap. And there's a surprise streaming segment. Whoa! Look at all the goodies you can get right now at patreon.com slash Jordan Haas. See you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.